Hey everyone, it's Corey Haley here and welcome to the Intersection Education Podcast. Today we're speaking with Lena Grote-Degner about personal coaching. Now she describes herself as a transformation agent, but she also does some great writing and speaking. Now with a background in sustainable investments, her work today really centers around systemic and individual change. And she combines that strategic acumen with understanding of complex organizational systems and the human side of social impact. Her focus really is on creating meaningful change for the betterment both of ourselves and our planet. I think you're really going to like this conversation. Now, if you do like what you're hearing, connect with us. You can go to our website, intersectioneducation.com, follow us on Twitter at intersectioned, or even on Facebook. And we really do appreciate it when you rate us on iTunes, leave a review, and tell your friends about us. Here's my conversation with Lena Goat. Degner. The Intersection Education Podcast. Schools are the place where different institutions, services, and societal influences meet. In other words, they're at the intersection of children's lives. In the Intersection Education Podcast, we speak with insiders and outsiders of the education world to try to gain new insight and improve our schools. Lena Groot-Degner, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? I am very well, thank you. It's nice to see you, Corey. Yeah, it's good to see you as well. I'm uh, I'm actually really looking forward to speaking with you. Uh, we've had many conversations, and I I, I kind of have, uh, yeah, I have a bunch of questions that I that I'd like to talk to you about about some of the work you do around coaching, and mm-hmm. we talk a lot about learning. In, in our profession, in education, but, but not necessarily coaching. And I think before we get too far, although this isn't a new concept, I just wanted to, to, to stop and maybe start with when someone asks you what coaching is, mm. what do you say? How do you, how do you kind of define coaching and, and how might it be different than just say like generalized learning? Yeah. It, I love the question because I do think the coaching has been um, it, it's gotten a little bit of a bad rep uh, in certain places. So uh, at least where I'm from in Denmark, you know, there's there's um, there's a little bit of a coaching overwhelm because all of a sudden everyone wanted to be a coach. And it was like if they didn't know what to do with their careers, they were just they're just going to be a coach. You know, just I'm going to leave my job and be a coach. Um, and so as if that was enough qualification, you know, <laughs> then you were fed up with your corporate life. Um, but I, but I think also coaching as a profession has, has changed. So I think where it started was very much, um, sort of the, the performance game, right? So a coach would help you perform better, um, with, and, you know, help you set goals and targets. And so it was very performance driven. Um, and that's not what, I do. Um, I look at coaching much more as a um, someone to have conversations with um, that will enable you to realize your true potential. Um, so the way I see it, and I, I've kind of stolen this from my teacher, Michael Neal, um, but it's almost like being a catalyst. 
You know, you're a catalyst for someone else's uh, potential um, to evolve and and for them to see it, really, for them to see themselves. Um, so I work much less around sort of, you know, all of the performance stuff um, and much more around just um, just waking people up to who they are. And that is a gorgeous conversation to be in. Isn't it, though? And um, I think that, that that approach to to learning and improvement will really resonate with a lot of teachers because I know that that is um, that is a way that many educators think about their work with kids, yeah. right? Instead of, you know, providing them with all this type of information, it's, yes, you're, you're a guide. You're, we're having conversations that allow you to reveal the knowledge that's in yourself. And yes, there's a learning process that goes along. So I think that that's why I, I am really interested to get your perspective on many of these things that we talk about when, mm. when we're talking about learning or coaching or, or just self-improvement in, in general, whether that be with students or with adults. Now, now you talked about your approach, and I want to delve into that a little bit more. What are some of the maybe essential questions that you look to, um, and not that you look to have answered, but that you would like to have that conversation with some of the the clients that you have that you want them to be able to answer themselves. What is it that you're trying to be able to, to get those people to understand about themselves to, to move them forward and for improvement? I think it's funny because the, the thing that, that um, came to mind was, was a question that sounds a bit weird, but I'm going to go with it anyway. And the question would be, who do you think you are? You know, and and there are different ways of interpreting that and hearing that. So it's not as in who do you think you are? You know, um, don't don't be so arrogant, or you know, but it's who who do you actually think you are? Who 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 is this you that we're talking about? And the reason why I think that's essential is, um, it, you know, it's it's my own journey with coaching as well. I I started looking into coaching because I was absolutely miserable. You know, I I'd done all of the things that I thought I needed to do in terms of education, and you know, I I got my MBA at an Ivy League school, and I got the job in finance, and I was working in London, and you know, I I ticked all of the boxes, and I was miserable i was i was deeply unhappy um and it was it was kind of shocking because um i never questioned the approach up until and this was you know just before the age of 30 sort of 28 or something i never questioned the approach of just work really hard do everything that people tell you to do and then eventually you know you'll be sort of at the end of the rainbow and there'll be something there that's that's rather pleasing <laughs> Um, and so my, my own, um, my own discovery of coaching was very much around, well, how do I, how do I achieve this happiness thing <laughs> that I've been hearing about? And I remembered sort of being happy before I, I really got into, um, sort of believing that performance was, <laughs> was the key to happiness, right? Like, I really do think that we actually come into this world inherently happy. And then we get convinced that we need to do stuff in order to, uh, to either deserve it or achieve it. Um, but through my own journey, like the, the main thing that really um, made a difference was understanding how, how I, like how I saw myself and what I identified with. So as long as I was identifying with with my achievements, with with my performance, um, 
that just got me into trouble again and again and again, regardless of whether my performance, like the, the headline became more noble, you know, so I was working sort of traditional, just corporate, corporate jobs. And then I got really interested in sustainability and sort of went down that route. But it was so it was almost like I I traded out the 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 headline um, and it sounded better. You know, now I'm working for a better world. I'm working, you know, for the betterment of the planet. But it was still completely ego driven. You know, it was still because I still saw my achievements as as my like that's what I identified with. So if I was doing well, then I felt safe and I felt sort of sort of happy. But as soon as something would rock that just a little bit, then, you know, it was all gone. And then I felt it felt like the foundation was crumbling underneath me again and again. So that question of what are you actually identifying with? Who who are you? And what are you underneath whatever the stories that you've created around you, whatever narrative that you've got going? So for me, and I guess a lot of people will, will identify with this, but a lot of people also won't. Um, it really was the whole, you know, the the whole performance game. And I very nearly had a panic attack the first time one of my one of my teachers, one of my coaches, said to me, "Who would you be without your CV?" And I I I just didn't know what to do with myself because I thought, well, I'd be nothing. And that's when I realized that this was I needed to look in this direction. Um, it was scary because when you think that there is just an empty shell <laughs> underneath this this facade, this story that you've created, that's that's really scary. But I also knew that that was that was my my way to see something bigger, to see something else. And it 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 did feel like a leap of faith. Um, but you know, looking back, I can only I can only look back with sort of fondness and a, a lot of uh, compassion for for who I was then because of course what happened was that I found more richness and depth and and magic than I ever thought possible so that was a very long long long-winded way of saying that question of uh what is it that you identify with and who do you think you are at your core like that's what I'm really interested in when I when I work with someone and what I was going to say was I appreciate how you've worded that because it it gives the opportunity for movement. It's not, who are you? It's, who do you think you are? And our idea of thought can move. And I imagine that's part of what you look like. In in having these conversations, do you find that people's first answer or people's first inclination often changes through the multiple conversations and through time that you have, um, that you work with them? Definitely. Um, it's it, And it's it's actually, it's kind of shocking how many people will go, I have no idea, right, in response to that question. Um, so so the, the sense of self, whilst it can be quite strong at the surface in terms of, oh, I am a leader, I am a, you know, performer, I'm a dad, I'm a mum, I'm a, you know, all of these labels that we that we put on ourselves and each other. Um, relentlessly, actually, um, they they can roll off the tongue quite quickly. But once you've kind of done that first layer, and you ask again, so underneath that, 
who are you? And that's not necessarily how the coaching session would go, but just sort of to 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 summarize, you know, uh, the journey. It um, that's when most of us get stumped. Where I don't know actually, I don't know who I am. So um, and and again, that can be a little bit terrifying <laughs> to be confronted with, because again, like we 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 spend every every minute of every hour with ourselves, and yet our sense of self beyond sort of the, the surface um, can be in many cases quite limited. So I do, I do think that that, that is actually for me to like, that is the journey of, of going through a process of um, discovery of of, of rediscovery of kind of um, reconnecting with ourselves and, um, and who we are uh, in a way that can be incredibly profound. I think that we've really established and you've talked about how performance does not equal happiness um, and how uh, one of the things that you really look for is to try and get to have people have a better sense of who they are and whatnot. But there is a relationship between um, what we do at work, um, what we do not only at work, what we do as a person. And so as you go through this, what is it the, what is it that you try to establish as a relationship between the essence of a person and their work and not necessarily tied to performance, but have you seen that as people become more comfortable with their selves, they can um, do better at work, maybe be happier at work? Um, what, what kind of things or products do you see or, or maybe they have an epiphany and they go, actually, I'm in the wrong line of work. <laughs> yeah. All of the above, I think. Um, so I, I think um, the first thing is, is, is just again, sort of getting an understanding for. In addition to, of course, like who we are, but as we do that, we, we also get an understanding for why we do what we do. Right. So in my own case, I was, I always um, thought that I was kind of awesome that I was so driven and ever that's what everyone would, you know, would, would remark on is, wow, you've accomplished so much and you are so driven and you have so much energy. And, um, and I thought that was, that was really good. Right. That was a little pat on the back. Um, but there was a recognition at some point that the, the driver for me was the fact that I was terrified. (laughs) Like I was really scared of what would happen if I didn't perform if I didn't work really hard, like I, and I don't even know where this comes from. And I don't think that's, that's actually all that relevant, but there was definitely something in me that thought that if I stopped striving for some kind of weird abstract perfection, which I didn't even have, you know, the definition of what that would look like, but it it, it did definitely include a lot of hard work. Like I, I thought if I stopped doing that, that somehow like somehow my license to be here would be revoked. <laughs> like I don't like it it sounds a bit uh a, a bit extreme, but it you know, I that existential fear, we all have some version of it. Um and once I realized and it took me a while to kind of get to, wow, this is actually kind of underlying most things that I do. But once I realized that the performance part wasn't so much because I really um wanted to do all of the stuff that I set out to do, but more because I was scared of what would happen if I didn't, that was a game changer. Um, and so there was, um, 
like I think for 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 most people once once you kind of start feeling into what it is that you love to do what you enjoy to do what actually um what you feel called to do what you would do even if no one was watching and no one paid you you know like getting a sense of that um and and the sheer joy um and creativity uh you know that kind of comes with that um that often changes the direction and it doesn't you know for some people it's very quick and they have an epiphany like you said and then all of a sudden it's like oh i'm gonna go do this but i think that's that's for that's a minority of people i think most people it's a process um and it's um it's a recognition of oh i can actually just do things a little bit differently um i can enjoy things more and i i can be more of me and that's ultimately what i think is 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 what people get out of this is just being more of who they already are. What a wonderful thing to say, you know, this process will help you just be you and be happy with that. That's, that seems like it is one of those high ultimate goal kind of ideals. And so I think that that's really interesting. The, the next question that I have is more based around leaders. And, and so I think that not everyone necessarily needs a coach or some sort of intensive period, but I think that we could probably create cultures at work that allow people to A, ask themselves those questions, and B, that facilitates them bringing their whole selves to work to actually... I don't know, almost curate their work to a certain point to maximize the things that make them happy about their work or the culture with they, that they work in. Um, and in ours, you know, schools and education. What are some of the things that you would say to a leader um, or to think about to be able to create that culture or that workplace that, that allows people to fully express what makes them happy about their jobs and and like I said in our case that's that's educating children but there's a lot of different facets of that one of the i think one of the blind spots that we all have um and that is just crucial in leaders is how how who and when we judge so our own um preferences our own um assumptions um Everything that we kind of bring into um, any conversation, any interaction, like people pick up on, you know, what you think and and what you stand for, regardless of whether you explicitly tell them or not. (laughs) Right. So when we look at so I work a lot with corporate cultures and corporate leaders and culture is one of, you know, it is one of those words where people kind of know what it means, but not really you know, when it comes down to it. Um, but the thing about culture is it, it reveals, um, it reveals what's actually going on. So when leaders say, you know, we're trying to change this, but we, we don't know why we can't, or the culture is kind of against us. It's, there's something that we're not looking at, right? So there's something that we're not seeing about how, how we, we interact, how we create, um, uh, on a daily basis through our interactions, um, this thing that we call culture. So becoming more conscious of um, our own footprint, if you will, um, in terms of what are the messages that we're sending, uh, be they implicit or explicit, 
Um, and are we creating space for people to, to, as you say, be themselves? Or are we setting up, um, are we setting up a situation where people feel that they need to either, you know, um, say what we want them to say or, you know, follow a, a certain narrative? Um, so the way that what, how I describe it is conscious leadership, becoming becoming more aware of, of our own impact. Um, and it does. And I know a lot of people don't really want to hear it, but it does kind of start with looking within Um and and that's where I think also, uh, for instance, my style of coaching uh, is 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 different from the very performance driven um, type of coaching, where it's all about the goals and the milestones and you know the achievements and and getting from A to B. Um, that stuff is great, but without more awareness around how we actually do this and what the impact is on other people, um, you know, strategies. There's a reason why Peter Drucker many years ago at this point said that culture eats strategy for breakfast. Um, so so starting to look within. So whether it is working with a coach themselves or uh, asking themselves um, just these some of these questions, um, uh, it, it's just a really good starting point, knowing that it starts with you because it always starts with us. What I think also is interesting about the work that you do is that – to a certain point, you are in the education field. You are, you know, <laughs> to a certain point, you are mm -hmm. you are guiding people through their own journeys. And 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 yes, the end point is perhaps unknown because they create that. But we, but you you kind of set up this environment. And I, I was wondering if there was something about either the coaching experience that 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 you try and put in place, or. Mm -hmm after knowing this coaching experience, something that you've saw or that you've realized about education that you really think is true. So it's like, okay, this is, this is what I really think about now when it comes to learning, but that some other people might not really agree with. Is there something that they you mm -hmm. get some pushback from when, when you're saying, Hey, this is, I think how this process should go because it maximizes our experience and our learning. And people are like, Ooh, I don't know about that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. Um, and this is, this is at the heart of, of, um, the work that I do, um, which is, I firmly believe that we live in a thought creative world 100% of the time. So I, I think our experience is created 100% from the inside out, which means that there is nothing the outside world can make you feel what you feel originates in you and from comes from what you think um and that is that's a that's a paradigm shift uh certainly and if you look to psychology you know there, there will be many i say a psychologist um disagreeing with me right now but um but that's what I've come to see and, and that like I've been on such a long journey in terms of modalities and, um, you know, the, the spiritual world, the philosophical world, uh, psychology. And this is I think this is where I've landed, where I feel like, OK, this is kind of the bottom line. Um, and I think in terms of learning and in terms of education, um, that is a game changer, too. 
Um, I, ha- I have a question because, I mean, I, I like this idea. I think intuitively I'm, I'm getting just a little piece of this idea that we live in a thought-created world. But I was thinking, okay, let's set up a situation. What would this look like? Okay, I'm a, I'm a teacher and I want to be either a better teacher or I want to you know meet my, my students' needs a little more. I, I obviously have to do something to be able to do that. Uh, what would mm-hmm. the difference be between a thought created world or a not? Or maybe I've I've set up the situation wrong. Maybe they would actually believe that you know the reason they're not better is because everything around them is making is acting upon them or not. But maybe maybe lay out kind of two perspectives. What would it look like if you believed in this thought created world, or what would it look like if you didn't believe in this thought created world? One example is, and I, and this is actually from the education uh, educational world, but. Um, and and you probably know these studies much better than I do, but um, teachers given a list basically saying these kids in the class are highly gifted and they're, you know, special talents and these kids are not, right? And then a year in or however long the study was, um, who did better? The, the kids who um, the teachers had been told were talented, except there was no difference beforehand. Right. Like they were completely average, all of them or whatever you want to say, like there was no difference. Um, So so the placebo effect. Right. Like it it is um, it is well known in terms of how we you know, everyone knows what the placebo effect is. But if we actually take it all the way, like it's almost like it almost has to be an either or either everything is thought created or nothing is. So either we we experience an objective world that just that is the way it is. The way we see it is the way it is, i.e. our mind is a camera. You know, it actually it sees something that exists out there or it is the other way around. It is inside out and the mind is a projector. It sees what we put up on the screen. But most of us live in a sort of in-between. You know, we can see that sometimes... um, our spouse is uh, really annoying, but it's probably because we're in a bad mood, you know, <laughs> or that never happens to me, by the annoying. way. <laughs> <laughs> right? Right? And and that's that's kind of the that's the litmus test is like, how is it possible that our experience changes so much from day to day, even hour by hour, even, you know, you're driving along, you're driving along. Everything is great. Then some some idiot cuts you off on the road and then for the next 30 minutes you're having you know road rage like when when you actually start looking at what your experience is and how it's created i think it's fascinating that most of us think that it's the outside world that influences you know it's because of this that i feel this there is a a completely different way of of experiencing your life, which is seeing that it all comes from this thing that we call thought, which passes through you in, you know, throughout you. I mean, when do you ever not have thought? Like we all have have thinking, but but what is thought? You know, when we have personal thinking, we we take that seriously. You know, and I think that's that's where we get in trouble is when we take our thinking really seriously. It's just oh, because it's in my head, I need to pay attention to this. I need to take it seriously. But what if it's just in your head? And, you know, in a minute, it's going to be out again and something else is going to be in your head. And so, the again, the identification with, like, who are you? Are you your thoughts? Are you your thinking? 
or is there what's what's behind the thinking? I think most of us can agree to that when we feel calm and when we have lots of energy and everything is well and you know when when we don't feel um sort of victims of the world, we handle stuff so much better. But when we feel like we are not in control and everyone is kind of out to get us, we get really reactive. And it's a lot easier to lash out and say some stuff you didn't mean and you have to go back and apologize. And So in terms of what the world looks like, basically, um, you could say that in terms of in terms of teaching, um, you have students. That's kind of that's that's like the objective fact. Right. There are students. But everything that you think about those students, that's your made up story. I appreciate that perspective because we often talk about that, the different lenses that we put on, the different evaluations that we put on, even if they're, you know, psychological, well-respected evaluations, they are thought created. They are lenses. They are models that we impose on things that happen. And then we, we derive from that. And it's important to know that although they can be effective at times, absolutely, they are still human created models of looking at the world, again, a thought created world. Um, and like I said, it's, I think it's, it relates back to um, your original question of, you know, who do you think you are and what are you identifying with? And so, you know, that that awareness of bias and that awareness of what are the things that you would rather see the world through? What are the thoughts that you want to create your world as opposed to being unconscious to that and perhaps allowing thoughts that are not that are not healthy or that are not positive to to then influence your world and create that world? Uh, I think it's very interesting how that that all ties in, doesn't it? It does, and I and I will say it it um it it can feel like pulling the rug out underneath you once you really start going down this because you start seeing that not just some things but everything is made up. I mean, everything is like you say, everything is a construct. Even even the stuff that we that we take for granted. And perhaps especially the stuff that we take for granted, like when we start actually also seeing through that, um, it it kind of it rocks your world a little bit <laughs> because we we um, it's almost like our our thinking creates like the the four walls within which we operate, right? And that's the world that we know, and it looks solid, you know. Like if, for instance. Um, you think that you're an insecure person, so you're not great in front of a crowd and you don't like public speaking, um, but you're really good one-on-one. Every, everything like that, you know, it, it starts creating this, this, um, this restriction around you in terms of, again, who you think you are, what you can do, what you can't do. And when you talk about education, oh my gosh, I wish someone would have told me that everything that I was thinking about myself was essentially made up. Like all of all of that insecurity, all of that striving to be safe because I thought that I was somehow not enough because look at all of my flaws. <laughs> look at all of the things that I can't do. And so, I mean, and, and that's, you know, that's the wonder of, of kids, you know, until they start believing 
the world when the world tells them that there are ways they need to be and ways they shouldn't be and they are free <laughs> and they are just you know little creative expressions which is why we as adults love being around these kids right because it's so freeing and it's so inspiring and we go oh my gosh you know the innocence the joy the creativity um the playfulness everything that we really want <laughs> as adults and we have that in us still we've just somehow forgotten so it's it's kind of peeling back um so you know some of the positive side effects of of coaching and looking in this direction even if it's for yourself uh it w even without working with someone is that you kind of come back to to your original nature which is which is much more free and less restricted um by labels and uh all of the shoulds you know we all have lists of shoulds that are so long <laughs> there's a great line it was don't should yourself <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I and heard most that the people other... should all over themselves. Oh, yeah. they yep. <laughs> yep. That's exactly. Um, yeah. Hey, thinking about this, because I'm thinking about, you know, how do we put this in place? How do we create this culture? How do we um, bring these ideas to people? How do we create some movement in there? And I know that you have some different ways that you do that you've you've kind of worked in you know one-on-ones and small groups and over long times you even do workshops for some of your this work and different work and when you're thinking about about creating those environments where we can propose these ideas where people can think about them um what what do you think about those setups um, like how how do you create or how do you think what do you think is effective in creating those learning environments for this type of work um, anything to think about um, I imagine it's going to be a range of things it's not just like one answer but when you're thinking about what is the best way to bring this forward what do you think about um, yeah there are definitely a couple of things that that come to mind so one is um, it, it's somehow and and maybe this is this is obvious, but it somehow needs to be quite um, experimental, you know, like um, a, a classroom setting where people sit in a chair for eight hours and there's a there's a whiteboard like that. That's not the most conducive setting for work like this. So I love when when there's movement, when it's embodied, because basically what this requires, not of not of children because they've got this they they do this already but for for adults who are kind of moving into this and and kind of having a taste of it what we really just need to do is get out of our own heads get out of the way get out of our own thinking because all of the boxes right like that we operate within they that's where they reside so if we can get into a little bit of movement and i'm i'm not like an interpretive dance kind of person like i wouldn't go that far <laughs> <laughs> but in fact, I always try to sneak out the room when something like that is, is suggested. <laughs> but I, but um, I also I do a lot of systemic work um, where it's it's uh, it's it's embodied. So where you feel your intuition and you kind of just you you go where you're compelled to go, kind of thing. So not thinking about it, but just like where do you want to move in the room? Um, so anything that gets us out of our heads and in into our bodies a little bit, um, because that we 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 need to create some space, right? We need to create some space for new thinking to to enter 
that's that's kind of the whole that's the whole um, deal here is just create some space. Um, so uh, some silence is really good too. So for instance, if you give people some questions to think about, send them out for a walk. If if you can be in nature, even better. Just some some um, some quiet, some um, natural surroundings, movement. Um, those are just really good. Um, aids for for moving in this direction um and what i find really helpful um is a sense of humor around it right so just kind of saying we'll see how this goes like there are no right answers because there aren't in this space right it's all explore uh, exploration so so a sense of humor around if you're not comfortable great if you're comfortable great just you know be with it um, and uh, allowing people to express themselves. So, so creating a safe space. Um, so, for instance, if um, <laughs> sometimes leadership will want to do something along these lines, but they insist on doing it a certain way so that people take this very seriously and do it right, you know, and that's, <laughs> again, you want to move away from, from that um, because there's just got to be some safe space and, and some freedom for people to explore for themselves. I imagine they do this all with the greatest of intentions, right? Oh, yes. And yes. that's that's actually what I, I think I want my, the next question that I have for you is, I mean, um, what do you see as the biggest trip ups? I mean, because you work, mm. you've worked with, with quite a few people in this, and not only just individuals, but even with organizations and things like that. When people say, okay, this is valuable work, we're going to do it, what do you often mm -hmm. see as the biggest pitfalls, the most common mistakes that we can maybe avoid? So number one is management leadership saying, we want to do this work, we want to change the culture or whatever it, it may be. Uh, you know, we, we want to invest but we don't want to do it. So for instance, we have a company, we have lots of leaders, we want all of them to go through the training, but we as the exec team actually don't want to do it. So don't, you know, <laughs> don't come chasing us to actually um, go through the same experience. So role modeling is crucial. We know from, from, um, from uh, the research on culture, et cetera, leadership just sets the tone. And it, the project or the transformation loses credibility if leadership is not willing to do the work. Um, it is very hard for an organization to change or for a group of people to change if the people they are following are still walking in that same direction that they were coming from. So whatever you're asking of your people around you, be prepared to do that yourself too. And e perhaps even more, you know, because you are you are role modeling um, and you're setting the direction. So the most successful uh, transformation uh, processes that I see or, or change projects are the ones where management um, really do lead and they and and they dare to be vulnerable enough to show when it's difficult or when they don't know what to do. Um, so that would definitely be be the first one. Um, the second one would be, uh, we really want to change and, um, but we want to do it this way. <laughs> so if you're already dictating the terms, 
for how you want to change and what you think that change should look like, will look like, has to look like, um, you're, you've already blocked the whole process. Um, so there's a, there's a great book, um, uh, by Otto Sharma, um, who he's an MIT professor. Um, and he wrote actually, uh, a while back now, uh, a book called theory you, um, and then the follow-up was um, leading from the emerging future. Uh, so he kind of coined that phrase of the emerging future, along with um, Peter, I can never pronounce his last name, Peter Senge, Senge? But, but this whole notion of um, being open to uh, an emerging future that we by definition cannot predict what's going to look like. Um, so uh, being willing to um let go of our assumptions and and that's that's the trickiest part for most people because our we have an underlying belief that as long as we are in control things will will turn out okay but the moment that we don't feel in control that's when we get really insecure and and transformation is all about surrendering into a future that we that we just don't know what's going to look like um and um and if you try to to kind of shape any kind of development or um transformation process whatever it is like you've already restricted it to something that you could somehow predict which means that you're not you're not open to what what else might be Again, it's like you're staring you're staring at one grain of grain of sand, you know, saying this is the world and you're not even realizing you're in the middle of a desert. I have a question for you and I imagine this comes up in the corporate world as well. So, you know, there are goals that are not necessarily driven, sorry. How do I prefer it? So uh, I imagine just as in the corporate world, as in the education world, there are times when we're not in control of the goals that are imposed on us, whether that's a board that says to the mm -hmm. CEO, hey, this is what you need to do, or whether it's uh, a government that says to the minister of education, okay, we need to do this and this and this. How do you kind of reconcile or how do you come together these things that are, are, are totally external with this idea that we need to, you know, create internally our values and it needs to be a reflection of ourselves and we need to do this kind of locally. Because I imagine that's that's a universal. I imagine that every company has that to a certain degree. They've got individuals with their own hopes and wants and needs at that level, but then there's also the market. So, you know, there's what you do and then how you respond to that or there are external pressures as well as internal. What do you say to someone who, who says, well, I, I, we can't engage in this process. I mean, don't you see these, these people? They're telling us we have to do this. We don't have a choice. Yeah, it's a really good question. And, um, and I think it's back to, you know, how, how, we, how we see the world. Funnily enough, how we see ourselves, because um, you can either react to externally imposed requirements, demands um, with with resistance, with with panic, with frustration, with anger. You know, how dare you <laughs> see that a lot? Um, or you can go, OK. And I know that sounds ridiculously simple, but if you are 
if if the if the two like what you want to do and what the outside world wants you to do like if they are so conflicting you've got to ask yourself why as well so very often and i'm going to completely generalize but very often it is because there is such um we have so much on what we want to achieve ourselves whether it's as an individual or as a group we want to do this why do you have so much on that and why does it feel like the you know the end of the world or unfair unjust if if there are outside forces telling you well we actually need this from you if you don't have a lot on it as in whether you get to where you wanted to be where where your direction was um like your strategy was taking you all of that stuff like if if you don't have that much on it then it's not a disaster to also work with the outside forces um and and i don't know if i'm explaining explaining this very well but it's it's almost like back to the individual and 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 being performance driven if i think it is necessary for me to be validated for me to be enough for me to be successful that i absolutely have to achieve these things of course i'm going to be incredibly upset if someone gets in my way and tells me oh actually you need to take a detour you need to go here but if i know that that's not what's going to make or break me that i can be as flexible as i need to be and i'll be fine regardless of what happens so it all comes down to that it's like do you know that you are okay no matter what no matter what i love that line i love i can be as, as flexible as i need to be to be success it doesn't matter and it's getting rid of the ego because it's not necessarily this thing about oh i need to do this and this and this in order no it's i can be whatever i need to be in order to be to to make this work so so and and it's it again it most people don't want to hear that right because because we think that there is really good reason for why we have the strategy there's really good reason for why we set these goals there's really good reason why we're working towards what we're working towards but again what is it you think is going to happen if you don't get there in the time frame that you had set cuz often that's that's what it comes down to as well is oh it's it's not going to take 6 months now it's going to take 18 months oh how horrible okay so what So I would always just go back and check with those questions around why is it the flexibility looks like a problem and why is it that we can't um why is it that we can't do it another way take a detour I think we've <laughs> talked a lot and it's you know I'm sitting here and I I hesitate because I'm just still taking that in and kind of reflecting on it but i think i do want to move into some other ones that are perhaps less deep but perhaps not as well uh i was wondering and you've already mentioned um one book that uh, theory you and leading from the emerging future but do you have any other books that you liked to recommend to people or films or anything like that i do i yes definitely so my my mentor and teacher michael neal um he is a very well known coach he trains coaches it's that's a lot of his work um but he has coached everyone in terms of CEOs athletes presidents you know like and and he, he um i think for me like he is just such a an authentic guy and he has seen something incredibly profound about human nature 
how we operate. And so he's got a number of books. Um, the one that I would uh, recommend people start with is um, The Inside Out Revolution. So as the, as, the, as the title reveals, it's all about how we experience the world from the inside out. Um, and it's a very um, easy to read book. He's, he's got a very conversational um, uh, um, writing style. Uh, and he's got a ton of YouTube videos and, you know, he's all over the place, basically, in terms of uh, <laughs> in terms of social media and stuff. But he's just he connects really well with people. Um, so that's why I always that he's the first one that I I kind of recommend. He also has a different book called um, The Space Within, uh, which is also great. So but I would start with um, with the Inside Out Revolution. Um, and actually, he's got a. This might be interesting for people in the educational space because um, he's got another book called um, Creating the Impossible. So it's like a 90 day program where he where there's a little little snippet of teaching every day. Uh, and it's it, the whole purpose is to break down, you know, those walls that we we're talking talking about in terms of what people think is, is possible for them in their lives. Um, and it's it's he runs that program as well as, as an online program um, with people every January, I think it is. Um, and it's really cool to see. It's a 90 day program. It's so cool to see what people manage to create in 90 days once they get out of their own way. It's 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 remarkable. Yeah, uh, we I will definitely look at that, uh, especially the book. But uh, yeah, I do like that idea of the online course as well. It might be interesting. What is one thing that you do every day or most days that you think helps you to be well, to helps to be healthy, and helps you to do the work that you do? Two things. Um, one is I laugh a lot every day, as you can probably tell. <laughs> um, and it's not just it's not as flippant as it sounds, but um, it is it is quite intentional because it's a reminder that life is not as serious as I think it is. Like I shouldn't take myself as seriously as I sometimes do, you know, so um, so laughing at myself, too, you know, being totally OK with saying silly things, you know, um, like I have so many moments where it's like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad no one was here to witness that. <laughs> like, they would quite take my take my intelligence into serious question, but but laughing and um, being lighthearted. Um, I mean, a lot of the stuff that I do, like it can get quite serious and quite sort of deep and profound, and in some some cases quite dark because you go with people wherever wherever they need to go. Um, but it's also knowing that um, they are not that story, right? So even if they see something really dark, I can still see the light in that because I know that there's light underneath. Like they're just looking at their own thinking and that's why it looks dark. So that's one thing. Um, and the other thing is related. But I very many times throughout the day remind myself that the world is not as I see it. And um, again, that can sound a little bit sort of pop culture, pop, pop psychology, but it is so helpful that when I get frustrated or angry or sad to just to just look at, oh, that's that's just my thinking in the, in this moment. It's not actually the world right now. And especially with the world being as crazy as it is, <laughs> like, again, my judgment, right? I think it's pretty crazy, but that's how I keep saying that's how I've kept saying. 
And there's one line um, that I keep coming back to, which um, the, there was a Scottish mystic who lived in, well, he lived obviously for decades, but uh, in the 70s, he, um, he, had, an, he had an epiphany. He, he had an, uh, an enlightenment moment. And he started articulating a lot of the things that, that um, I've been talking about here around how our experience is created. And what he said was that people do, people do the best they can in any given situation, given the thinking that looks real to them. And I just, I find so much um, relief in that because there is, the road to compassion and forgiveness is a lot shorter when you understand that people actually do what they think is best, given the thinking that looks real to them. I like that. You can, I think that everyone can probably think of a few situations that they've experienced or even historical situations where when you think that, okay, no, it's easier to come to compassion and it's easier to understand yeah. You've already m- mentioned Michael Neal, um, but I was wondering if there's an organization or another person who's really inspiring you or you're looking to right now and s- saying, hey, they're doing good work. Yeah. And again, I think this this will be um, this will be relevant for your audience. There's um, an organization based out of Chicago called uh, One Solution. And they do a lot of work. Um, it's um, headed up by Mara Gleason and her husband, uh, Eric Olson. Um, and uh, they do a lot of work with uh, at-risk youth uh, in South, uh, South Side, I guess it's called South, South Chicago. Um, they have a podcast as well. Um, and it's all based on, on this philosophy um, around um, uh, the, the inside-out understanding. So they, they do lots of educational work. They bring these kids on their podcast as well. Like they, they are just, they're fantastic. They're just amazing people. But the results they're getting are really incredible too. And I love the, um, the audacity of the name One Solution because the whole reason why they're a nonprofit is called One Solution is because they're basically the, the, the hypothesis is there is one solution to every single problem and it's to understand that, you know, how our ex- experience is created. So it's really cool and um, I, I hope you and, and others will look into it. I'm interested to see what you're doing next. I know that you've, uh, you've recently moved back to Denmark and, uh, yeah, I, I'm, uh, but I'm also interested in just work. What are some of the things that you're looking at? What are some of the questions that you're looking at answering or problems that you're looking at solving? What's, what's some of the work you're up to right now? So the big one is, um, I, uh, I now work for a pension and insurance company, which, uh, I mean, I've, I've got a background in finance, um, so it's not completely left field, um, but uh, pension and excuse me, pension and insurance that is definitely new to me. Um, but what we're looking at is um, why do people get sick at the workplace? So why do so long term sickness is on the rise, and and uh, especially people who um, go on long term uh, disability leave, like where they are actually paid you know to leave the workforce um and it's on the rise 
and no one can figure out what is going on. And especially when it comes to stress and, and mental health. Um, so it probably doesn't come as a surprise because we hear a lot of talk about this, but no one has really figured out what's, what's going on. Um, and so, uh, it's obviously a, it's a huge uh, thing to to start looking at, but we are curious about the 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 things that haven't been looked at so much. So, for instance, this thing around you know how do we actually collectively view the world as an organization? Um, how do we deal with um, external events? Uh, do we put you know do we sort of send st- stress and adrenaline? into the organization when something happens or are we more like all right let's just calmly deal with this you know like how do those dynamics actually form and is it are they completely set by leadership like what are the what are the uh what are the dynamics between actors in in the organizations so that's some of the stuff so it's both systemic um and it's very much about um how we perceive the world. And it's really cool starting to look at that on an organizational level um, where you start taking some of these um, ideas that, you know, originated with the individual, but actually bringing it up to a, to a group level um, and, and how, how that transforms in that process. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a cool gig. Never thought that was going to happen in the pension and insurance world, but Hey, <laughs> all right. That's not, exactly I'm not complaining. Yeah. Go with it. Yeah. And then, of course, I do. I do all of my. I do all of my own work on this side. So I still have my own company, and I do coaching and all the, all the fun stuff um, on the side, which is really lovely. And I guess that that's where we'll maybe leave it. If if people are looking to connect with you and 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 see some of that work, what's the best ways for them to to connect with you? Uh, I have a website, which is um, lenadegna.com, um, and I don't know if you have. I think it's better to just go on your website and see how my name is spelled because it is not. We'll, we'll yeah. also leave a list, uh, a link in the show notes for that one for sure. <laughs> Good. Uh, so yeah, I, I have a website, but people are very welcome to uh, to reach out to me via email um, and for a chat, for questions, um, even to tell me that I they think I'm wrong. I'm always happy to uh, to explore. Um, so yeah. Sounds great. Do you know what? Uh, I I just can't thank you enough for giving up a little bit of your time, and uh, you've definitely made me made me think today, and and I'm sure that that won't stop. And so I I think you will also make our listeners think as well, and maybe look at some of their problems just a little bit differently. So thank you so much, Lena. Thank you for having me, Corey. It's a pleasure.